I want to talk to you today about a topic that probably I don't hear a lot mentioned about it, but I think we assume it. Um, I, I want to say how much I enjoyed the worship this morning. Uh, that was some of the sweetest, richest worship I've been in for a good while. And uh, thank you, worship team, for you know leading us in that. Um, I'm going to talk to you today. I'll just give you a title. I want to talk to you today about what it means for believers to be priests. The priesthood of the believer. How many of you knew before you came in here today that you were and are a priest? Uh, we're going to talk about what that means. You know, in some of these countries I've been in, um, I remember one year being in, in Southeast Asia and, uh, and my hosts were showing me around and we went by uh, some different, uh, I remember one of them was a Hindu temple, one was a Buddhist temple. And at one of these places we saw some of their priests you know, holy men who were doing some of their rituals and things like this. And I want to be very respectful. I'm not here to, you know, be denigrating toward anybody. But there's a concept in pretty much all religions of the world that there is a holy class of people. And sometimes in, you know, in some religions they're called priests. In some of the um, more primal religions, they're referred to as witch doctors or shamans. Um, but they're people who are in a special class. They're not the ordinary devotee of that particular faith, religion, superstition, whatever it is. And, and these priests, and I'll just use that term, uh, they're, they're, they're different than everybody else. They're in a special class of people. And whatever God or gods it is that they worship, the priest is a mediator. The priest is a go-between. In other words, the average common person cannot access the, the hidden treasures of that particular belief system. The priest has to do it on their behalf. So and I'm just talking across the board, religions across the world, this priest class is a special class of individual that has privileges that the average person does not have. Even in the Old Testament, stop and think about the Old Testament. Do you remember the, uh, started with Aaron, the brother of Moses and his family, uh, people from the Levitical tribe, the priests and the Levites, uh, they had access to God and the rest of the people did not. And if you wanted to worship, you really couldn't worship directly. You had to take your gift, you know, whether it was a, uh, a, a dove or a lamb or if it was a grain offering, you didn't just go and worship God with your gift you know what you had to do? You had to give it to the priest. You did not have direct access. You had to have a go-between. You had to have somebody go on your behalf. Now, I've been watching this because I've been sharing this message a few times lately, uh, probably for the last month. And um, uh, so because I'm teaching on priesthood, and the priesthood of the believer, 
I'm, I'm paying attention during the worship songs. And the last month, every church that I've preached in, in their worship set, had some priestly language. You say, well, priestly language, what is that? Well, what about today? I, first or second song, your presence is an open door. That's priestly language. Because in the Old Testament, God's presence was not an open door. Now, it would be to the priest, but it wouldn't be to you and I if we were not priests. Again, the priestly class had special privileges, and along with that, guess what? Special responsibilities. How many of you know with privileges come responsibilities? The priests of the Old Testament had this special access. So if I'm wanting to take whatever sacrifice is required from me to render it to God, I couldn't do it directly. I had to do it through a priest. I would give the priest the offering and then you know what I would do? I would back off and watch. I would be a spectator. And I don't know about you, but... Um, if we don't understand our priesthood, we'll become spectators in, instead of people that really participate. You know, one of the first times uh, when God kind of was demonstrating this, God had said, I'm going to have a kingdom of priests. This is back in Exodus 19. And when God showed up on the mountain, do you remember what happened? the people were terrified at the presence of God. The presence of God was not an open door. The presence of God said, where's the exit? Because the people, because of their nature at that moment, uh, sinful nature, the presence of God terrified them. And you know what they did? They said, Moses, we can't handle this. You go talk to God and you tell us what God says. We don't want to go into his presence ourselves. And so you set up from that point on this priesthood where the people stood at a distance from God and could not access the presence of God, and they were dependent completely on a go-between, a mediator. Let's look at a passage of Scripture that's really powerful. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, how many of you believe Peter probably had some insight on this? Because he followed Jesus, he walked with Jesus, he was as close to Jesus during his earthly ministry as anyone. He understood the old Jewish system, but he understood the change that happened because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus did. Peter here is not talking to a select group of Christians. He's talking to all Christians, specifically here. He's talking to Christians in many different cities. And this is what he says. He's talking to every believer in these cities. He says, you also. Everybody say this, me also. Me also. This, he's talking to you. You also as living stones. How many of you know you're a living stone? 
Now, I've talked to some churches and it was, they were like dead rocks. They were not living stones. But you guys are living stones, right? You're smiling, you're happy, you're glad to be in church. You are living stones. And, and it says, and what's happening to you, you are being built up a spiritual house. Have you ever seen a, a rock house before? Um, I mean, this is such a simple analogy. Let me ask, if you, if you were walking in a field and here's a rock and there's a rock and there's a rock and, you know, just, you ever walked around in a field like that somewhere? Are the, is that a house? They're, they're, they're just rocks, right? In order for those rocks to become a house, something has to happen. Those rocks have to come together, right? They have to be put together and they'll, I'm not a builder type of guy, but they would use some type of mortar or concrete or something. And what would they do? They would put the rocks together. See, Christians, are, we are not called, we are living stones, but we're not called to just be out lying by ourselves in a field where we are built together into a spiritual house. This is why church is so important. I understand sometimes people need to watch online. God bless everybody watching online. But when you can, being together, there's certain things that are so beneficial when we're, we're, we're not just isolated rocks, but we come together and we are built up a spiritual house what did Jesus say he would do? He said, I will build my church. So, so Jesus, when we get together, there, there's a house that is being built when we are properly connected to one another. Okay? Notice what he goes on to call us next. We are a what? A holy priesthood. So you are living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house, and you are a holy priesthood. You just thought you were a regular, ordinary believer. See, you can call somebody when you get, I just found out today, I just went to church and, and, and they made me a priest. I'm a priest now. No, Jesus made you a priest. There's tons of believers that don't know they're a priest. They think the only, no, I'm not a priest. I don't wear that little funny collar and, you know, I have, no, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a holy priesthood, okay? Now, a lot of people don't know what that means or what that entails or that type of thing, but he goes on to say, you're, you're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, a, what's that next word? Royal priesthood. You're not just a priest. See, when you pick up the phone and you tell that person, I just went to church today and they made me a priest. You also need to tell them, and they made me a king too. I'm royalty. I, I, just, I was just a regular person when I went to church, but I leave church and I'm a, I'm a king and a priest. Okay, a royal priesthood. 
And it goes on to say, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've never met, in, in church, you've never met an ordinary person. You're not an ordinary person. You're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. I don't think I have this scripture on the screen, but Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and maybe verse 6 says that, that uh, Jesus has washed us in his blood and has made us kings and priests unto his God. Okay? Let me give you a definition. We've got this on the screen for you. The definition of the, the priesthood of the believer. I'm going to be using that term today. When we refer to the priesthood of the believer, this is what we mean. Every child of God has the privilege of direct access to God through Jesus Christ and the responsibility of representing God and ministering to others on His behalf. Would you read that out loud with me? I just want you to get that. Every child of God has the privilege of direct access to God through Jesus Christ and the responsibility of representing God and ministering to others on His behalf. That's what it means when we say that you're a priest uh, that's what the priesthood entails. It's really those two things, the privilege of direct access and the responsibility of ministering to others. We are a holy priesthood. It's kind of a fine line, and I always want to be careful because when you communicate, when you teach about the priesthood of the believer... If you're not careful, you'll begin to think, well, if I'm a priest and if I have direct access to God, then I don't need anybody else. You, you understand what I'm saying? How many of you know that when you have a prayer need, that you can pray directly to God? Now, you could call Pastor Tony or anybody. You could call any other believer and say, would you agree with me? Or you can say, will you pray for me? But really the ideal thing is to, is to trust in your own priesthood. Trust that you can speak to God through Jesus Christ. Now don't ever think you can go to God based on yourself. Because we're not going to get very far that way. That's why every prayer is, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and we have direct access to God through Jesus. And here's why. Let's look at the next scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God. How many of you know there's one God? There's not a whole bunch. There's one. And only one. And one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. So here's what I want you to see. You're a priest, but we also have a high priest. And our priesthood, see if you go back and study the Old Testament, 
you had all these different priests who, you know, and they would live and serve and then die and then there'd be new generations and they would just, you know, rotate in and out. But there was always a high priest who oversaw the priesthood. And the priest had to operate in conjunction with the directives of the high priest. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I've got a high priest. And that means I can't just decide, oh, wow, I'm a priest, so I can just do whatever I want. I can just, man, I can go to God when I want and do what I want and not do what I don't want to do. And that, No, I'm a priest, but I have a high priest. And you know what my high priest is doing? He's building a spiritual house. So if, if I as a priest am in tune with my high priest, then I'm going to be cooperating with him and flowing with him and, and that type of thing. There is one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus. Now, if you were to call Pastor Tony and say, Pastor Tony, I have a prayer request and I want you, Pastor Tony, to pray. And, uh, and, and he might ask you, well, have you prayed? And you say, oh, no, no, Pastor Tony, I'm not, I'm not going to pray. You pray. I mean, you're my mediator. You're my pastor. So I'm not going to pray, Pastor Tony, that's your job to pray for me. I think I know your pastor well enough to know, number one, he's going to be very kind to you. He's going to be very loving to you. But he's also going to do his best to communicate with you that that's not really how, why it's, how it's supposed to work. He's going to communicate to you. He's probably going to say something very kindly like, you know, brother, sister, I am delighted to pray with you. But I want you to know that you can pray and that God will hear you when you pray. And he's going to, he, he's not trying, Pastor Tony's job is not to make you ultimately dependent upon himself. His job is to encourage you as you grow in your dependence upon Jesus and his blood and his promises. See, we still need pastors. Even though we're all priests, we still need pastors, we still need teachers. We still, because we're a kingdom of priests. So we have kingdom responsibilities and and we have different assignments within the overall priesthood so but but the job of every pastor preacher teacher is to teach you how to grow in your priesthood now let's say let's say that i were a prophet okay which I, i'm not i actually have a nonprofit organization Two totally different things. But no, I'm, I, I don't stand in the five-fold ministry gift of prophet. I'm, a, I'm kind of a teacher. That's my area. But if I were a prophet, if, if I, let's just say if I'm a teacher, my job as a teacher is to activate your priesthood, not to make you dependent on me. I want to teach you how to study the Bible better. I want to teach you how to lean on the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. I want to teach you to draw from the anointing that's within your heart. I have a job as a teacher to teach, 
But, but I don't want to make you more dependent on me as a teacher. I'd, I'd really like to help teach you the Bible so well that you need me less and less. If I were a prophet, I don't want to teach you, hey, every time you want to know something, come to me and I will reveal it to you because I have... I'm all-knowing. You know, the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. Nobody knows everything. I'll give you an example of a time, uh, even though I'm not a prophet, any, any Christian can operate in different spiritual gifts as the Spirit wills. And one time when I was a very young assistant pastor, we were having a prayer meeting at our church. Uh, this was back in the very early 80s. And um, we were all praying and... I was actually up on the platform and I looked down and over here there was a young man praying at, we had altars, and he was praying at the altar. And when I laid my hands on him, I had this impression, suicide. I didn't, I'd never seen this young man before. And I just had this strong impression, suicide. And I kind of thought, well, that's different and but I knew that I didn't just think that up. And so I walked down. I kind of, he was kneeling and praying, and I kind of knelt beside him and just kind of prayed generally. And then when it was an appropriate time, I said, excuse me. I said, I, I just want to ask you this. I said, have you been thinking about taking your own life? And his eyes got really big, and he said, yeah. He said, how did you know that? And I said, well, I was just up praying. And I said, it seemed like the Holy Spirit impressed upon me that you were thinking about that. And I just wanted to, now that's all the Holy Spirit told me was that that was him and he was doing. But, but from there, I just took the word of God and what uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I just encouraged him how God loved him and had a purpose for his life. And God did not want him to take his own life and things like that and ministered to him. He rededicated his life to God that night. He actually told me that he had come to church as a last-ditch effort and that he was planning to take his life either that night or the next morning. I can't remember which. That's been like 1982. And he, I mean, he had plans. He, it was imminent, and God arrested him. And just through that simple little gift, the, you know, what we call the word of knowledge... And uh, so I said, look, let's stay in touch, you know, because I wanted to keep encouraging him in his faith because I know the enemy will come back and try to, you know, attack from a different angle. And he called me the next day and he said, Tony, he said, uh, he said, I, I'm, I'm, I've got hope again. He said, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go out and apply for jobs. He said, could you do that thing you did last night and tell me where I should apply for a job? He apparently thought that that was like a light switch that I just randomly and arbitrarily, oh, let's see, yes, now you're... If, I say I'm not a prophet, but if I were a prophet, my job is not to make him more dependent on me. And I had to explain to him, brother, that was something that God did in a special way. I mean, you were in a special predicament. But I said, let's pray and let's ask God to lead you by his spirit you know, and, and so I didn't want to cultivate a dependency upon myself. I wanted to encourage him to grow in his priesthood, 
in His ability to pray, in His ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is something that's very important. When we understand our priesthood it, it, and, and when we understand how the fivefold ministry gifts work, uh, they're, they're, the fivefold ministry, the pastor, the teacher, we're to, we're to build up people in their priesthood so that they can hear from God, read their Bibles, pray, so that they can go through the one mediator. In other words, I'm not your mediator between you and God. Jesus is your mediator between you and God. As a teacher, I can encourage you in your growth and in your journey, but please don't ever pray, Father, that was such a good message. In the name of Tony, I pray. No, in the name of Jesus, you pray. Your pastor can encourage you. He can use the gifts that God has given him to encourage and cultivate your spiritual growth, but he's going to always point you to Jesus, the one true mediator. Let me share with you a few quotes. Um, and Pastor Tony, I asked you before service, ballpark time to finish. I know you told me to totally take my liberty. 315 to 320. <laughs> 10.30, very good. And we'll probably let them out before that. But let's go to a couple things that people have said throughout church history. Martin Luther said, Indeed, all Christians are priests, and all priests are Christians. Now, did you know that any, any religious group can tell anybody they're a priest? You know, go through some training. Well, okay, we call you a priest. But it's one thing when God says you're a priest... When you are a born-again child of God, you become a priest serving under the great high priest. John Calvin, a fellow reformer, said, In him we are all priests to offer praises and thanksgiving. In short, we are to offer ourselves and ours, meaning our possessions, to God. Such a powerful statement. We're all priests. Your presence is an open door. Nobody who's a child of God, nobody who's forgiven, nobody you know, who, who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus ever has to say, I'm unworthy to go into the presence of God. So you go in and I'll stay out here. You have the privilege of going. You say, but Brother Cook, you don't know what I did recently, and I just think I need to stay out, you know, kind of like time out. I think God's telling me to go sit in a corner for a while. Do you know God doesn't tell you to go sit in a corner? God says, come to me. Let us come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus See, the blood of Jesus wasn't shed for your perfection. It was shed for your imperfections. The blood of Jesus was not shed for you because you're holy. The blood of Jesus was shed for the areas that we've been unholy. We come near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me, sh this to me, this next quote, I actually referred to this yesterday with the men. Uh, the, the next slide refers to how some early Christians handled things. During the persecution under Gallus in A.D. 252, when the pestilence raged in Carthage 
and the heathens threw out their dead and sick upon the streets, ran away from them for fear of the contagion, and cursed the Christians as the supposed authors of the plague. Do you know plagues have happened all through history? Just, we haven't, you know, when I say we, I mean modern 21st century folks in America, we're not used to this kind of thing that happened with coronavirus. But if the people of the Middle Ages saw how much we freaked out and panicked, they would be pretty startled. And please don't misunderstand me. I have friends that have died from coronavirus. I have friends that have, you know, suffered horribly from that. It's real. I'm not belittling the reality of it. I'm just saying in historical comparison, during some of these plagues, 30% of the population would die. So, I mean, every person that we know that has hurt, suffered, died, we grieve, we, we you know, we, we're empathetic toward that. I'm just saying by historical comparison, this has not been one of the worst things in history. Okay? So in this case, the plague going through in North Africa, and notice they, the heathens were throwing out the dead onto the streets. Um, they were running away from them for fear of the contagion. And notice it says they cursed the Christians. How many of you know Christians have been cursed throughout age? Not by God, but by man. It's the Christians, away with the Christians, the Christians to the lions. When you go back and study history, what you find out is that in the ancient Roman Empire and with all the Greek influence that was there, the people were polytheistic, meaning they worshipped hundreds of gods. And nobody cared that Christians worshipped Jesus. They worshipped hundreds of gods. To add one more named Jesus was no big deal at all. What upset people at the Christians was not that they worshipped someone named Jesus, but they refused to worship all of the other gods. And, and the reason in their mind that floods came, that plagues came, that earthquakes any natural disaster, famine. It was because the gods were angry. And why were the gods angry? Because they were not being worshipped enough. And who was it that refused to worship the gods? The Christians. And so when famine, plague, everything, when natural disasters happened, everybody cursed the Christians. It's their fault. So what do Christians do when everybody hates them? What did Jesus say we were to do when people hated us and cursed us and said all manner of evil things against us? So you, you know what the pastor did? So here's what happened. Cyprian, that was the pastor, assembled, everybody say assembled, assembled. his congregation, and exhorted them. Isn't that what a pastor does? He says, guys, let's get together. And, and let me encourage you. And how did this pastor encourage his people? Exhorted them to love their enemies. Whereupon all went to work. 
the rich with their money? Isn't that something? If, if God's blessed you with provision, one of the things, you can go to work with your money, do something, you know, support your church, build the church financially, keep the church strong. The rich with their money, the poor with their hands, and they rested not till the dead were buried, the sick cared for, and the city saved from desolation. Can I tell you something throughout history? When the world has been its darkest, the church has shown the brightest. Because the church has understanding. We're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And when we see the world going in a negative direction, when we see people getting caught up, what, what, what have people been caught up in these last few years? Fear. Anger. What do we do? We are priests. So as priests, what we do is we access the presence of God. The world will fill us with fear and anger, but we are priests. We access the presence of God. He fills us with peace and hope. But, but access is only one half of priesthood. What is the other half of priesthood? Access, but responsibility. You want to know the churches that are going to make a difference in the world? It is churches that know their priesthood. They access the presence. They get filled up with a peace that the world doesn't have. And then in, in, with an attitude of responsibility... We live amongst the rest of the world as lights shining in darkness. Let's go to this next quote. Uh, some of you have heard of Vance Havner, very famous Baptist preacher, passed away several years ago. He said, every Christian is a priest. Every Christian is a priest. Not offering a sacrifice for sins. How many of you are glad that your priesthood has a little different job description than the Old Testament priests. How many of you are glad that I don't have to say, uh, Brother Dave, uh, there's some turtle doves out there. Uh, would you go, you know, kill them and put them on the fire? You know, we're going to offer them up to God. I actually, a few years ago, I was preaching in, in a Muslim nation, and it happened to be the Sunday. They, they do their religious services on Fridays, but on the Sunday, it was actually the Muslim day of prayer. Uh, I'm sorry, the Muslim day of sacrifice in that particular country. And as we drove to church, we saw groups of individuals out offering animal sacrifices just in the parking lots on our way to church. And they're literally, you know, uh, killing them and offering them up and things like that. I, we just call that a barbecue, I think. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. That, that was rude. Uh, my apologies. But, but it, was, it was seriously, it was their Muslim day of, of sacrifice. And, they, and I remember driving by there and saying, Jesus, thank you that I don't have to do that anymore. You were the lamb who was slain. Uh, and, and what you did for our sins, it's once and for all, we don't have to do that anymore. As a matter of fact, do you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? You remember there was an earthquake 
And you remember in the temple, there was the veil. What did the veil do? It separated the holy place from the most holy place. And only the high priest of the old system, only the high priest could go in beyond the veil once a year. Do you know what happened when Jesus died? That veil was ripped from top to bottom. Why? Because there's no more barriers. Every child of God now is able to go into the presence of God through the great high priest, Jesus. So Vance Havner said, every Christian is a priest not offering a sacrifice for sins since that has been done once and for all, but offering his person. See, as a priest, you don't offer blood of bulls and goats, but as a priest, you offer yourself. You offer yourself. Offering his person, his praise, and possessions. You are a priest. Charles Spurgeon, the great, another great Baptist preacher back in the 1800s, look at what he said. He, I don't know that he ever really used the word priesthood, but it's exactly what he's talking about. He says, we need to have a church in which all the members do something, in which they do all they can, in which all are always doing all they can. For this is what the Lord deserves to have from a living, loving people bought with his precious blood. If he has saved me, I will serve him forever and ever. And whatever lies in my power to do for his glory, that shall be my delight to do and to do it at once. See, what the priesthood does, it, it removes the, the option of being a spectator from the Christian life. In the Old Testament, 11 out of 12 people, because only one tribe served as priest, 11 out of 12 people were basically spectators. They had to depend on another human being just like them. And did you know that in the Old Testament, if somebody said, hey, we're going to go to the temple and worship God, they didn't think of we're going to go sing some songs. They thought we're going to go give something to God. <laughs> when they went to serve God, they were going to give an offering, and they couldn't do it directly. They had to do it indirectly. Priesthood for the New Testament believer means that you have direct and personal access to God, but it also means you have direct and personal responsibility to represent God in your life. And that's why Spurgeon said that based on what Jesus did, purchasing us with his precious blood, he said we need to have a church in which all the members do something. That to me is so powerful. Uh, let's look at something Andrew Murray said. Anybody here like to read Andrew Murray? He's just such a phenomenal author. He said, every believer, the feeblest as much as the strongest, has the calling to live and work for the kingdom of his Lord. 
every believer has equally a claim on the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit according to His gifts to fit Him for His work. And every believer has a right to be taught and helped by the church for the service our Lord expects of Him. And that's worth, that's worth chewing on for a while. What if instead of saying, hey, it's Sunday morning, I'm going to church. What if, instead if you said this, hey, it's Sunday morning, I'm assembling with other living stones. And we are all being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. It's Sunday morning and I'm assembling with my fellow priests. See, sometimes people want to think on their individual priesthood, but the Bible says we're a kingdom of priests. So we always have to think of our corporate identity as priests. Uh, it's Sunday morning and I'm going to be trained and equipped to exercise my priesthood more effectively. Somebody says, what, what do you mean you're going to learn how to exercise your priesthood more effectively? What that means is I'm going to learn how to better access the presence of God because as a priest, I have the privilege of direct access. And all of the other living stones that I'm with, we're all together going to access His presence. And, and then uh, He's going to teach us how to how to demonstrate our responsibility to work for Him and represent Him. Let me show you one more thing. Uh, we're going to skip uh, one of the slides here, and I, I just want to give you the first point. I'm going to pick up after this tonight. And I want to say this. We function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we serve. Uh, we have a biblical story here. It says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Now, do you know what nard is? I don't. I need to look that up. I'll see if I can tell you later. <laughs> but it was really expensive, all right? Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard I really will look that up this afternoon because I really have no idea. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. I want you to picture this scene. Jesus, you know, when they would be out walking, and how many of you have ever been to the Holy Land, Israel? It's dusty over there. There's rocks everywhere. And that's another reason why when Peter said, you are living stones being built up as spiritual eyes, everybody knew rocks. Everybody had, there, my first tour to Israel, our guide said, there's an old saying that when God did all of creation, he had all these rocks left over and he just dumped them all in Israel. <laughs> Obviously kind of a joke, but you almost get that impression. They're just rocks everywhere. And it's dusty and, and that type of thing. And when people traveled and they had kind of sandals on, man, their feet would be so dusty. And they would have a servant uh, who would wash the feet of 
people. This is hospitality. When somebody came into your home, if, if you didn't offer for their feet to be washed, that was considered to be really inhospitable. It's just such a common need. And uh, so, uh, you know, that would have happened. And remember, Jesus one time demonstrated, he washed the feet of the disciples to demonstrate, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And uh, so, but Mary takes it a step beyond washing the feet with water. She takes a flask of expensive perfume and, and pours it on Jesus' feet. I mean, this is, this is not just servanthood. This is extravagant. Everybody say extravagant. extravagant. I mean, this was over-the-top servanthood. I, I, it was either this or a similar situation that really upset Judas Iscariot because, you know, what that, we could have taken that money and the Bible says he didn't do that because he cared about the poor. He, he, he stole money from the deal and, and that type of thing. But Mary was serving. You say, but we can't do that for Jesus. We can't, I mean, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't physically come into this church service. I can't do something like that physically to serve Jesus. But you know what Jesus said? Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me, unto me. Did you know that when you serve one another, and I'm just making this real practical, but when, when we, um, you know, when, when these guys are back there, how many of you know the guys in the sound booth right now are serving you? They're, 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 you know, my voice is amplified. They've got things on the screen. How many of you know that the people that greet you at the doors are serving you? Uh, the people who are watching the kids right now are, you know, I'm not sure. Sometimes we say this is the main service. I'm not sure that God looks at it that way. That may be the main service as far as God's concerned and just adult care is also provided. <laughs> I'm not trying to minimize what we do or what Pastor Tony does, but I'm just saying that those children being ministered to is just as precious to God as what we do in here. But when we serve one another, and I want you to notice what happens. When Mary took that 12-ounce jar of perfume, she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. This is, do you know this is priestly language? This is priestly language. Because, see, the priests would go in, and one of the things the priests would always do is they'd offer incense to represent the prayers and the praise. And did you know that when the priests had gone into the holy place and offered it Do you know, just like the, the house was filled with the fragrance, did you know those priests were their clothing and their hair when the priests went out, when they had finished their priestly responsibilities and they went out amongst the people, oh, that guy smells good. He's been in the presence. 
Do you ever, now this is kind of carnal and getting off on a negative. How many have ever been in a smoke-filled room? Okay. Do you know when you leave that smoke-filled room, perhaps in a previous life, who knows? But, but when you go out of that room, you, everything about you smells like that cigarette smoke. Mary's hair carried that aroma. When we serve one another, when we serve in the church, when we've been in the presence of God, and then we not only just come to worship Him, but then we give our, our talent to each other by serving and working and volunteering and doing all these different things. But what's important is that we're not just doing it to go through the motions, we're doing it as unto the Lord. When we do it as unto the Lord, it's just as though we were doing it for Jesus Himself. That's how Jesus takes it. When we serve one another, we serve Him. And that's part of our responsibility as a priest. We have the privilege of access, but then we have the responsibility of representing Him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank You for who You've made us to be. Lord, in ourselves, Lord, we have absolutely nothing to boast about. Lord, when we came to You for the very first time, Lord, all we had to offer You was ourselves as sinners and all we could say was Lord have mercy on me I've sinned against you I need your forgiveness and your mercy and Lord you went ahead and received us and you accepted us and you made each and every one of us young and old male and female no matter what our background no matter how society viewed us you made each and every one of us a new creation in Christ Jesus and Lord, today we've talked about one aspect of who you made us to be. You made us into priests. And Lord, you didn't expect us to be isolated, rocks separated, just lying there doing nothing. But Lord, you called us to be built up into a holy house, a spiritual house. That means, Lord, that we have to be vitally connected to one another. That means we get support from each other. That means we support each other. That means, Father, that we are a royal priesthood. Lord, help us to walk in the light of that. What it means to us individually, what it means to us corporately, what it means to us as a family. Help us to walk in that. Everybody say this out loud with me. Say, Dear God, thank you in Jesus' name that we are priests and that we have a great high priest. We look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith. He defines us. He gives us our identity. He teaches us who we are as individuals before God and as members of the family of God. He gives us our privilege of access and He also defines our responsibilities. Lord, help me to always know that Your presence is an open door. Even when I've sinned, 
I don't have to run away from you. I can run to you. Not based on who I am, but based on who Jesus is and the identity he's given me. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray for others in this room right now. I lift up their needs to you. They're praying, but I'm supporting them. I'm in agreement with them. I'm joining them in their priesthood. And, and Lord, I thank you that I draw encouragement from everyone here. We're a family. We believe together. When one of us succeeds, all of us rejoice. When one of us suffers, we all sense that as well. We're a family of priests. We stand together. We thank God for our great high priest who makes all this possible. Jesus, the Son of God. Let's lift our hands and worship Him right now. Father, thank You for Your presence. Lord, we just thank You for the sweetness of Your Spirit. We thank You that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Lord, the world doesn't define us. Society doesn't define us. Unbelieving, unspiritual people don't get to define us. God, you define us. You give us our identity. And Lord, we just, we're so thankful that we're doing life together, pulling together working together, representing you together. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing as we're in your presence right now. Thank you that you're meeting needs. Thank you that you're encouraging hearts. Thank you that healing is flowing. Thank you that oppression is lifted. Thank you that, that chains and shackles are being broken off. Lord, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.